Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, the Premier's in hot water over a stag and doe, D-O-E, party, where developers forked over DOE, D-O-U-G-H, to attend. We'll dig into the province's financial outlook after an update from the government. And a new map for Ontario's federal ridings has been made public. We'll dive into how this will affect you. It's February 21st, 2023, so let's get to it. Just before we get to our three issues this week, we thought we'd do a quick check-in with the circumstances surrounding the Mayor of Toronto, who of course officially put in his papers to resign the job last week. Why don't you kick that off? Uh, Yes, John Tory formally resigned. Uh, His last day in office was Friday. Uh, He did serve the full day, uh, resigned at 5 p.m. officially. And uh, one of the last things he did before he signed off, so to speak, uh, was that he delegated some of his powers to the city manager or to city council. These were some of the strong mayor powers that he was given late last year by the provincial government. If he had not done that, it would have created this weird situation where nobody would have had these powers because the acting mayor, uh, Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey, uh, does not get those powers in provincial law uh, just because John Tory resigns. So he has now delegated those powers to the city manager and to city council. Uh, This avoids the potential for uh, a a problem if uh, some situation had come up that would would have required, uh, for example, the appointment of a new city official that only the mayor uh, had the power to do. Presumably, the uh, delegation, well, it it might be revisited if uh, and when there is a new mayor elected uh, sometime later this year. We don't have a firm schedule on when voting day will be yet. Uh, One of the things that will depend on is uh, when Toronto City Council uh, holds a special meeting to declare the vacancy. This is a formal step they have to take uh, in order to start the process of an election. I, I suspect it will not. I suspect there will be a move to hold a special council meeting But uh, as we record this, that has not yet been decided. I don't know if you saw this on social media, but if there was one image that sort of summed up where things are at nowadays, it was a picture of the mayor in his office, I think about 630 in the morning, as was his want when he had the job. And somebody outside on Nathan Phillips Square, which is for those who don't know Toronto, it's the square outside of the mayor's office in City Hall. Uh, egging the mayor's window. You can see him in his office and this guy is trying to throw eggs and hit the window. And uh, John Michael, let me tell you something. He is no threat to be in the starting four (laughs) rotation of the Toronto Blue Jays this year. Uh, This guy, I don't know if you're listening, but that was a pretty pathetic effort, mister. You threw four eggs at the mayor's window. Most of them fell short. You got one in there. Um, Not particularly impressive, I have to say, from an arm strength point of view. And kind of even more insulting from a, just a human nature point of view. But um, boy, if that didn't sum it all up. Given how much eggs cost in this day and age, the financial commitment of using up four perfectly good eggs uh, for a protest like this uh, was something that I and a few other people noted on social media. <laughs> 
Well, as Shania Twain would say, uh, that don't impress me much. But anyway, <laughs> moving right along here, uh, people will know that we are taking uh, questions and discussion points off the top of our podcast every week uh, on politics at TVO.org. That's the email to get us on politics at TVO.org. And John Michael, we've got something in the mailbag this week that actually relates to what we're talking about right now. Uh, here is an email from listener Roberta, who writes, quote, I have read two different opinions on whether a sitting councillor gets to keep their current seat while running for mayor. Uh, they must resign the council seat in order to run for mayor, or they only resign that seat if they win the election. So possibly uh, several by-elections versus one or none. Which version is correct? Ah, this is a great question, Roberta, because strangely enough, the rules are not the same for everyone. And fortunately, my podcast partner here has been poring over the City of Toronto Act and can tell us the answer. So let's start with members of City Council. If you are a current member of City Council and you want to challenge for the mayor's chair in the ensuing by-election, do you have to resign to do so? No, you don't. Uh, a city councillor gets to keep their seat if they run for the mayoral by-election. In normal election years, things are a bit different. You're only allowed to run for one position at a time. So a an incumbent councillor who stays on the mayoral ballot can't put their name down for a, a council seat uh, as well if they're aiming for like a fallback position. Uh, they are allowed to stay in their seat as councillors during the election season, though, right? Councils are not like parliaments and legislatures. The council doesn't cease to exist during the election campaign. So the same rule is being applied here. Councillors are allowed to run for the uh, mayoral by-election while also keeping their seat if they choose. Now, let's ask the second part of Roberta's question, which is, what if you're a member of the federal parliament or a member of the provincial parliament? Do you have to resign in that case in order to seek the mayor's job? So this is what's interesting. Uh, Ontario's Municipal Election Act does spell out that neither MPs in the House of Commons, senators, or MPPs in the Ontario legislature are allowed to run in a municipal election while uh, holding those posts. Uh, technically, they can stay in their job until the close of nominations, but if they want to be on the ballot, they need to have resigned by then. Uh, the reverse is not true. Uh, if a city councillor wants to run for uh, the job of MPP, for example, and we have seen this in multiple elections, uh, they don't have to resign that seat. They can run in the provincial election or by-election, and then if they lose, if they are not successful in winning that seat, they go back to their job as a city councillor like nothing ever happened. Uh, this is a point of contention. It has come up repeatedly, uh, grumbling among city councillors, uh, but it, it is a rule that has been retained now for many years. This explains two things. It explains why former NDP leader Jack Layton once told me, I'm going to find my candidates on municipal councils across this country because, of course, they didn't have to resign their jobs to run for the federal parliament. It also explains why two current cabinet ministers who are being speculated about uh, for running for mayor of Toronto, Stan Cho and Michael Ford, uh, so far, uh, well, Cho, I guess, has taken himself out of the mix altogether, confirming that. And Michael Ford, uh, I don't think he said one way or another, but I think the speculation is it would be really doubtful that he would run for the mayor's job because, of course, he'd have to quit being a cabinet minister, which is a pretty good gig last I checked. Just while we're talking about wrinkles and wrinkles here, of course, if he did resign from the legislature, in theory, the premier could hold that seat open for up to a year. Uh, so given the timeline that we're looking at, uh, the by-election could be over and Michael Ford could 
run for re-election again in that seat, whether the government would be uh, as solicitous if, uh, for somebody like Butila Karpoche, who has also been speculated uh, as a uh, potential mayoral candidate, whether the government would uh, kindly hold that seat open for her to come back to, is uh, an exercise I will leave to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, just a reminder, on politics at tvo.org, send us an email, ask us your questions, tell us your thoughts. We're happy to hear it all. Now, on to issue one. We'll start off this section with a prompt from Deb Matthews, who's the former Deputy Premier of Ontario in Kathleen Wynne's government. She wrote to us on Twitter saying, Hey, S. Pakin and J.M. underscore McGrath. Those are our two Twitter handles. How is it possible that you found a story about renovating Queen's Park more important than a story about hundreds of thousands of dollars collected at the Premier's stag and doe? Did I miss something? In fact, former Deputy Premier, you did not. And we're happy to try to explain our thinking on why we chose the subjects we did for last week's podcast. And as we do so, let's acknowledge right here, deciding what subjects to cover immediately and what you can maybe hold off on for another week and come back to another time, it's obviously a very subjective process. For better or for worse, here was our thinking. JMM, why don't you start us off? So obviously, we spent a lot of time in last week's episode uh, talking about uh, John Tory and his uh, announced uh, resignation. And, uh, you know, that was an extraordinary story. It was a, a bolt out of the blue, and it has uh, ramifications, uh, not just for Toronto municipal politics, but for provincial politics. We are still talking about it this week. Uh, yeah, we, we decided to spend a lot of our time uh, last week on that. Now, you know, Maybe we goofed. Maybe we should have done the stag and doe party uh, next. Maybe we should have gone longer. Uh, but our thinking was that this story is not going anywhere. It is not a one-day story. It is not a one-week story. It is not a one-month story. This will go on. And it's also a continuation of a pre-existing story, which is to say this government's close relationship with land developers and one obvious point here, you know, it seems very likely that this matter will uh, make its way to the integrity commissioner. Uh, there will be more stuff that comes out. Media are going to continue to dig into it. There will be more and new facts that come out. So, yeah, we thought that this was something that we could come back to. Uh, I, I do have to say, I, there was a specific question uh, from uh, former MPP Matthews. Uh, she asked specifically how we found time for the segment we did about legislative renovations and not the stag and doe. But if you go back and listen to that episode, the renovations take up three or four minutes, I think, at the end of that episode. It is a very brief segment that we did, and we, and we would not have done the sort of light, breezy tone that we did. But I also don't think we would have served our listeners well if we had tried to shoehorn in this very important story into the three or four minutes we had left at the end of that episode. Yeah, and let's remind everybody, the renovations for Queen's Park could cost not tens of thousands of dollars, as the stag and doe story suggests, but a billion, a billion dollars of taxpayers' money to renovate Queen's Park and all of the considerations that come associated with that. So anyway, I, good stuff, JMM. I think that's a good summation of our thinking. Uh, Deb Matthews, you may be wondering, why didn't we just do both stories? And I guess the answer to that is, we're really trying hard to keep this podcast a half an hour. We respect your time. We've heard from listeners that you two really appreciate it when we stick to half an hour. So there's that as well. Obviously, if you think we blew it, I mean, our lineups don't come down from Mount Sinai. It's just us fallible human beings trying to figure it out as we go. So by all means, uh, send us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org or tweet at us 
and we're happy to uh, we're happy to talk about your concerns. So having said that, now let's do what we thought last week we were going to do anyway, and that is get into the whole story a week later. So we're going to do that right now. What's the concern, John Michael, about the Ford family hosting a stag and doe for one of the premier's daughters? Uh, in a word, this is uh, money and in another word, influence. Maybe first define terms because it has uh, been revealed to me that not many people know what a stag and doe party is, or at least some people do not. Um, but this is a party in which guests uh, donate money to a, uh, a couple that is not married yet, but is, is engaged to be married. And this is to help, you know, fund either the, the wedding itself or, or just as a general sort of uh, help the couple get started kind of gift. There were gifts guests at this stag and doe party, which was for uh, one of the premier's daughters. Uh, it now has been revealed, uh, thanks to reporting from Global News and other sources, that some of those guests were uh, developers. Uh, we have talked about this extensively before on the podcast, but like the, the land development industry maybe more than any other is very, very dependent on decisions made by uh, Queen's Park, uh, the Ontario government planning law, and yes, the premier's office uh, for uh, profits and for their livelihoods. Even more than that, some of the, the quotes in some of the reporting uh, we've seen uh, suggest that there was uh, an expectation or even uh, pressure put on the guests and the invitees uh, that, to give money to the premier's daughter. Uh, one source uh, told Global News that the, the, the whole affair felt uh, kind of dirty. So, you know, that's, that's the, the facts as uh, laid out in the reporting uh, so far. Is it possible this is all very innocent? Sure, that these guests happen to be Ford family friends and they just happen to be developers who stand to make a fortune because the premier has moved some of their land out of the green belt, thereby enabling them to develop their land that they previously couldn't develop. Sure, it's possible. It's all very innocent. Do the optics look awful? They absolutely do. The premier was questioned about this when he made an announcement in Brampton last week. Here's what he had to say about it. No one can influence the forge. No one, first of all. Not to mention a $150 stag ticket. We open the door, no matter if it's a Ford Fest, that's 6,000 people show up in a matter of five hours or any other event. You know something? The boys took care of that. I was glad to see people came by. And by the way, the vast majority of people were there. My daughters are all, well, three out of four are with police officers. The place was packed full of police officers. And by the way, they're champions. We support them. And... Uh, that's what I have to say about this. Okay, that's the Premier's defense. Now, there is an independent officer of the legislature called the Integrity Commissioner, who the Premier, several months after the fact, asked to look into this. JMM, what did the Integrity Commissioner conclude? Well, according to the uh, Premier's office, uh, the Integrity Commissioner, uh, you know, signed off on it. You know, move right along. Nothing to see here. And the Integrity Commissioner's reputation, I have to say, took a bit of a beating on this investigation. His name, incidentally, is David Wake, and his declining to find anything the slightest bit off about this story has really angered opposition members and interest groups who think developing the former Greenbelt lands is a terrible idea. Now, in fairness to the Integrity Commissioner, he is somewhat hamstrung by what he can do. His job is to decide whether this act of the legislature called the Members Integrity Act has been violated, and that is not a particularly broad act that does not cast a particularly wide net. So it may well be that the premier didn't violate this act, 
But that didn't mean he wasn't in violation of bad optics and questionable political judgment. Anyway, all this having been said, where is this story at right now? Uh, as of this moment, there is no further investigation from the Integrity Commissioner, but uh, freshly minted NDP leader Marit Stiles uh, has said she'll be filing a new complaint against the Premier with this information. Uh, Stiles, of course, already uh, got the Integrity Commissioner to look into uh, Steve Clark, the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. Uh, so this might get added to that if the Commissioner uh, does indeed uh, choose to start an investigation. And, and uh, we're going to stay with this just a moment longer here, because I think it's important to note that, you know, the Premier has said that the Integrity Commissioner cleared this party after the fact. Uh, but this whole process uh, has confidentiality rules, and, and those rules are important. We want uh, MPPs to feel like they can be candid with uh, the integrity commissioner so that they are, you know, they do disclose these things. Uh, but we don't know what the premier told uh, the integrity commissioner. We don't know how forthcoming he was or how much uh, details he gave to the integrity commissioner. We do know that the premier only went to the commissioner after reporters started asking the premier's office about the party. It is entirely possible for the commissioner to uh, revise their opinion as new facts come to light. Uh, to be very clear, that has not happened yet, but it is a possibility. As you've already alluded to, Steve, it's it's possible that the commissioner uh, will find that there was no clear breach of ethics rules because it, it is a narrow legal question that uh, he has the job of answering. Uh, we have also talked before about how in some ways like the Auditor General investigation into this stuff may end up being more damaging to the government specifically because it is broader. But, uh, you know, as you've already said, you know, optically, this could still end up being incredibly damaging to the government, even if there is no formal finding that the premier broke the law. Well, this is certainly one of the Ten Commandments of politics, namely, just because you didn't break the law doesn't mean you didn't do something wrong. And, you know, bigger minds than ours will be able to figure out down the road whether something uh, has been done that's illegal here. So far, we're hearing no sign of that. But whether it doesn't look good, whether it stinks, these are other questions uh, that don't involve legality or illegality, uh, but political advisability. And we already learned from the mayor of Toronto's office that it may not be illegal, but it may not be good either. Anyway, on to issue two. Overall, the third quarter finances report demonstrates that amid ongoing challenges, Ontario's economy remains resilient. After unprecedented investments in response to the pandemic, now is the time for governments to show restraint, to act cautiously and responsibly. That's Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey providing the public with a fiscal update on the state of the province's books. JMM, the Treasurer called the Ontario economy resilient. What do the numbers actually say about that? Uh, the pr province's GDP in uh, 2022 was up 3.7%. That's a decent clip for uh, annual growth. The province's projected deficit is $6.5 billion in the 2022-23 uh, fiscal year. Uh, that number will be revised at least one more time when the uh, final numbers for the fiscal year come out. But that is uh, substantially lower than what the government was projecting even last fall in November. Uh, it's, it's about half of what the government was projecting last fall. The decline in the deficit is due primarily to 
uh, an increase in revenue. Uh, the government has seen $9.6 billion more dollars come in uh, than it had projected. Uh, that's primarily increases in corporate income tax receipts and sales taxes. Uh, expense spending was also higher. So this is not simply that the government is uh, spending less than projected. It actually spent uh, $3.4 billion more than forecast. It's worth mentioning that despite those numbers, the deficit is still higher than what the Financial Accountability Officer has projected, uh, which means one of two things. I mean, the FAO's numbers could be off, or uh, the deficit could fall even further uh, as we round out the last few months of the fiscal year. Wouldn't you love it when you're sitting at home at your kitchen table, looking over, say, the last three quarters of the year, and saying to yourself, oh, wow, I just found six and a half billion dollars I didn't know I had. That'd be a nice day, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, just find it in the, the sofa cushions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Bethlen Falvey went on to say that now is the time to show restraint and act responsibly. Okay, read between the lines there. What does that mean? Uh, it's obviously a huge uh, contrast from the years that uh, the province spent going through COVID when uh, spending was way up and uh, up in totally novel ways in some ways. Uh, and uh, th that spending did not uh, come with massive new tax increases. So we had historic deficits uh, in the province. Now, the government's watchword is uh, fiscal prudence with taxpayers' money. Uh, I, I will add very briefly that this is probably uh, something we want to keep an eye on going forward for things like the City of Toronto, which is probably going to need more fiscal assistance this year. But uh, in any case, uh, this is what the finance minister said. We spared no expense through COVID, some $37 billion of additional funding to combat COVID. Uh, I have a responsibility to the taxpayers and the people of Ontario to continue, and I want to be really clear about this, to continue to be fiscally responsible and prudent while investing in the core things that Ontarians expect us to do with regard to the economy and with regard to jobs and, and workers and our healthcare system, among other things. Peter Bethlen Falvey was also asked directly, is there going to be a recession? in Ontario this year? And how did he respond to that? He said, I don't know, which, you know, points for honesty. Um, you know, we don't worry about predictions, right? I think as citizens, you, you want the government to be prepared. Uh, even just the last 12 months have been uh, difficult to predict. Uh, the the war in Ukraine as just one obvious example, uh, inflation uh, shocks, uh, supply chain problems still, uh, it, you know, in all sorts of areas of the global economy. Uh, what's the line? Predictions are hard, especially about the future. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Well, let's remind everybody the budget for the province of Ontario and its 2023-24 fiscal year will be presented by Peter Bethlen Falvey on or before March 31st. He confirmed that much. March 31st, of course, being the end of the province's fiscal year. All right, moving on. Here's issue three. Every 10 years, the federal parliament adjusts the geographical boundaries and often the numbers for the ridings in the House of Commons. And earlier this month, the new map for Ontario's federal ridings was made public after a multi-year process of public consultations now, this is a provincial politics podcast, so, okay, JMM, why are we talking about the House of Commons right now? 
Because ever since 1999, when the Mike Harris government introduced a law called the Fewer Politicians Act, Ontario has mostly mirrored federal changes in its own writings. Uh, that's a choice, to be clear. There is no uh, legal or constitutional reason that a province has to adopt the federal writing map. Uh, other provinces do not. Uh, but in Ontario, provincial governments mostly have for nearly a quarter century now. Okay, you say mostly here because the big exception in Ontario is up north. The province currently has 10 northern seats in the House of Commons, but we have 13 at Queen's Park, and we've explained this before on our YouTube series, Nerds on Politics. People can check that out. Go to YouTube and find Nerds on Politics. But uh, give our listeners a quick refresher on why we have more seats in the north at Queen's Park compared to the federal parliament. Sure. So the short version is that after the changes that took effect for the 1999 election, the next revision happened after the 2003 elections, which the Liberals won. Uh, the McGuinty government mostly adopted the federal changes at the provincial level, with one caveat. They did not make any changes to the boundaries in northern Ontario. Uh, Premier Wynne basically did the same, uh, and then relatively late in her time in government, she also added two seats to the far north. Uh, provincially, these are the ridings of Kiewetnung and Meshkegawak James Bay. Okay, so that's where we were. What's in store for Ontario with a new riding map now? Overall, the province is gaining one seat, reflecting its population growth, uh, but that growth is not happening evenly around the province. So we've got something that is nearly unheard of here, Steve. Toronto and Northern Ontario are both complaining about the same thing. Both <laughs> regions are losing a seat in the House of Commons. That is a bit strange, isn't it? The North has been shrinking in population relative to the rest of the province for a long time now, so I, I guess listeners can, can get that. But Toronto is growing, so what gives? So Toronto is growing faster, certainly, than the North, uh, but ridings around the GTA are growing even faster, and that shrinks Toronto's relative weight. Uh, while Toronto is losing a seat, the Federal Boundary Commission is recommending two new seats in the Western GTA in both uh, Peel and Halton regions, and a third seat in the uh, Barrie-Simcoe County region. Uh, most other parts of the province see comparatively smaller changes, you know, uh, fiddling with the, the boundaries of the ridings themselves but not changing the overall number. But to be clear, we're still only talking about changes to the House of Commons right now, not Queen's Park, right? Uh, that's right. And uh, technically, I guess I should say that not even those are final. It is MPs who vote to approve the recommendations of the Federal Boundary Commission or not. That vote has not happened yet. Uh, but this is a question that is going to have to be answered at some point in this legislature. Uh, do they follow the precedent set by the Liberals and leave Northern ridings unchanged? Or do they shrink the North's uh, relative representation at Queen's Park? I'm sure this will have nothing to do with it, but the fact that the Conservatives don't have any of those seats in Northern Ontario, those extra three seats, I'm sure that will have no effect whatsoever on the government's ultimate decision on this. But do we have any inkling of what they might decide to do? Well, they, they do have five seats in the north, uh, six if we count Perry Sound, Muskoka. So, uh, and we've but none of before. the three, none of the three actually. None of the three new ones. But, but I would just say it, it may be um, harmful to their political interests if they are seen to be antagonistic to the north. Um, but uh, I did reach out to the Premier's office and uh, Caitlin Clark, the Premier's press secretary, said in an email, no decisions have been made at this time. However, we will always protect the important voice of Northern Ontario. Uh, listeners don't need me to tell them that is not a specific promise, but uh, I, I think it's, well, it's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> better than nothing indeed. 
All right, that is the On Poly podcast for this February 21st, 2023. Please remember to check out our newsletter. You can subscribe to that at tvo.org slash newsletters. This week, given that it was family day yesterday, JMM and I are riffing on the price politics often exacts on family life. Any feedback you have, we are happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Uh, here's one from listener Valerie who writes, Dear Sirs, I enjoy your On Poly podcast very much. Jay McGrath's idea of having the roving Ontario legislature is excellent. Thank you. <laughs> they need to see the realities of all of our province, especially the remote areas. I hope your idea gains traction. Well, that is a note in reference to your suggestion, John Michael, last week, that when Queen's Park closes for its billion dollars worth of renovation, rather than simply move to another building, they should have MPPs sit in different places all over Ontario. And there's one vote from Valerie uh, agreeing with you. Maybe some MPPs will add their votes to that idea someday. And uh, while we are talking about MPPs briefly, uh, we should note that last week the government called at the Hamilton Centre by-election to replace former NDP leader Andrea Horvath, uh, who is now, of course, uh, mayor of her hometown uh, and your hometown, Steve. Thank uh, you. Th that by-election will be held March 16th, and we will be paying close attention to whomever voters sent to the legislature later this spring. This week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Shahayer Tajvidi. Production support from Nikki Ashworth, Carla Lucetta, and Jonathan Hallowell. Hope everyone had a happy family day on Monday. Meantime, COVID is not over yet, people, so let's remember, as my dad, who's actually standing right beside me right now, likes to say, stay positive, test negative. Right, Dad? Right on. Uh, stay safe, Mr. Pakin. <laughs> <laughs>